Hi, I'm Carlin Holbrook. I'm a John Maxwell team certified coach, teacher, trainer, speaker, published author, and influencer with more than 25 years of global leadership experience. If there's one thing I've seen firsthand time and time again, it's that the best leaders inspire others to follow their purpose and their passions, while the influence of a bad leader can literally tear down people's potential. Join me for a few sips of leadership tips that will help you become a better leader by first conquering the hardest person to lead, you. You know, I didn't drink coffee growing up. My mom always told me it would stunt my growth, so I wasn't allowed to drink coffee. It always bummed me out when I went to friends' houses. We used to travel to Mexico a lot, and we'd stay there for you know weeks and weeks at a time, and their kids always got to have a little bit of cafe con leche with a little bit of sugar in it and not me I didn't but then ironically I think I tried coffee like plain coffee like old school coffee like my dad used to drink Folgers Maxwell House um, and I thought it was disgusting it was so gross I never wanted to have it again so I never in high school I mean Starbucks did exist but it wasn't really a thing that I remember much of until I got to college well then that was a whole different Oprah because I I worked for a time at Corvette Diner and when we made it I made espresso drinks and learned how to do all that and the cafe mocha became my jam and then over the years I think I just gained more and more of an maybe an acquired taste I guess similar to beer in that sense Um, but also just a, a really profound respect respect for coffee and then as we've traveled the world and having different types of coffees everywhere it's just you know became not only a necessity to get me through college and well early mornings because I'm not much of a morning person but also just a joy a simple joy in life that I've really come to appreciate over time um but you know I reason I was also kind of thinking about childhood and growing up and school and I was trying to think about, you know, oh, in college and all that is I had a wonderful, amazing opportunity this past week to uh, speak to the faculty of the School of Education at Concordia University in Irvine, California, and just truly humbled as part of their leadership academy to be a guest speaker and um, a peer of mine that I, I knew a very long time ago, and, and we've we've been connected through the years, um, it worked in entertainment she's now part of their faculty and so invited me to come and speak and I just really admire professors and teachers and what the job is they have before them because it's not an easy one I think now more than ever it's been a very challenging time uh, since you know the pandemic and COVID and everything happening going to virtual learning especially for younger ages and even older ages I mean you know, college students and high school students, although they should be more mature. I mean, I remember not that long ago I was one. Well, I guess it was a little while ago. But it was hard. It's hard to keep your attention, especially someone like me who who leans into the ADD realm of things with a short attention span. It's not easy. And um, heck, it's not easy with adults in a professional environment, too, keeping people's attention. People are multitasking or, you know, admittedly, when things get boring, you go to Tahiti in your head. Who's not guilty of that? Anyway, I digress. But these wonderful group of educators invited me to come and talk to them about leadership and my journey of leadership and my perception of leadership and and um, what I shared were, were observations I had had, my own experiences, and, 
and what I think makes and breaks um, good and bad leaders. And so it also got me thinking about the role of a teacher and the role teachers played in my life, you know, throughout my whole um, education. And so I, I grew up, as you probably all know, in San Diego, what, what, represent. And I went to, um, in Point Loma High School, I was thinking about a couple of my teachers there that really left an impression on me. And one of them, uh, Mrs. York, uh, Mrs. Castile, she ended up getting married. And uh, she was my journalism teacher. And I, yes, I wrote for the school paper. And what I loved about her and what I still admired about her to this day is she never taught me you know, what to think. She taught me how to think. And she encouraged me to have courage to speak my mind. And I did. I wrote a lot of op-eds, editorials for the school paper uh, that not all of my other teachers liked. In fact, I'll never forget one of my other teachers that had nothing to do with journalism or English for that matter, opened the school paper and read parts of my article in front of the class and of course now I look back and I go dude you were totally shaming me that was not cool um but you know and kind of poking fun at what I was saying and but I remember too just saying hey that's why it's called an opinion article it's my opinion it's an editorial and I'm glad that I had the courage to speak up although it was embarrassing and that wasn't I don't know what that educator was trying to accomplish in that moment. It didn't solve anything. And it clearly, to me, brought his politics into a teaching environment, which I don't agree with. And so anyway, that obviously lasted on me. And I did have another wonderful teacher, um, Mrs. Gimber. And she was, I think, fresh freshman year uh, history. And what I loved about her, too, is like you just never knew where she stood on anything except Marcus Aurelius. She used to call him my darling Marcus Aurelius because she'd quote him a lot. But other than that, I felt like she taught history in a very fair and balanced way. She just taught us the facts. She taught us what we known to be as recorded history. Both sides, good, bad, and the ugly, everything. And I think that is also super important that we we teach it all because, you know, those who do not learn from history, are doomed to repeat it. And it bothers me that we're trying to ignore some of the sins of our past or some of the bad things. Or, And, and I do think you do need very visual reminders of that or you are doomed to repeat it. And so anyway, um, but then I had another teacher that from day one, all and it was a government class, it's like, oh, well, he taught us his opinion. He taught us all his opinions. And I don't think I really learned very much in that class. Um, Anyway, and I did go to college. So I graduated from Point Loma High, go Pointers, and I went to uh, Cal State Fullerton. And um, my undergrad degree was in OrgCom at the time. I think it was like the, the the school of you know speech communications or something. I think it's called human communication theory or something now, or maybe just mass comm studies. But um, I had a particular um, professor there. Same thing. The guy just sat up there and spouted off his opinion about everything in the world, I think, but intercultural communications. And he was the worst teacher. It was just really awful because I didn't learn anything of any fact-based argument of something. I just learned what he thought. And I, anyway, it was a terrible class. So I started thinking about, well, what makes good teachers versus bad teachers? It's the same as what makes good leaders versus bad leaders, right? In a lot of ways. And for me, I feel like teachers have a really, really special and very like purposeful occupation. And that is to teach 
people and kids in their formative years. I mean, that there's a stress like that is leadership, like on steroids, if you ask my opinion, because you are are ask, being asked to really have the future in your hands to educate the future. And I think that that is such a critical, important job. But I think so many of the principles of teacher being a teacher and leadership, it's all the same because essentially teachers are leaders. You are asked to, you know, impart wisdom. You are asked to um, understand what, you know, is going on with your classroom. Get to know the people in your team, if you will, of a classroom and understand what makes each of them tick and what the nuances of every individual and the person. I know that isn't easy when you have larger classrooms or, you know, a lot of, you know, tough things going on. I know that being a teacher is also not easy and not really revered as a profession. And so I think, I mean, it is, but not in the same way maybe other countries do. And it's just shocking to me that I, you know, when you think about who the biggest figures are in your life when you are forming as a human, both biologically, anatomically, you know, physically, spiritually, mentally, emotionally. It's your parents, your your immediate family, and your your teachers. I mean, that's a huge responsibility, frankly. Um, and I feel like we do need to hold teachers just as accountable as we do leaders in a work environment. In fact, you know, from my many podcasts, I think there should be more accountability in leadership in um, private sector, public sector, whatever you want to call it, every sector. But just because teachers, you know, are maybe government-funded public schools doesn't mean they should be held any less accountable for the role that they're playing. What I do really um, get concerned about, though, is you hear more and more about the types of curriculum and things that are happening in schools. It's not – what it's not supposed to do is truly be a place where you are giving them one form of how you think and feel and what we – I mean, that to me is brainwashing, you know, that is, that's teaching them one side of something or one side of history or one side of a story. And I think that's why it gets so dangerous when teachers are allowed to start bringing their own opinions into the classroom. That's not what it's for. If you want to bring your own opinion into something, then go be in a consultant or go work into a, you know, a private company where that's okay. But, you know, telling 10-year-olds what you believe and what your philosophies, even, you know, all of that in life, that's not appropriate. Um, when I went to grad school, I did go to Biola University in in uh, La Mirada, California, in L.A. County, and um, I did go to a faith-based university. So I knew what I was getting into going to a faith-based university, and the teachers there, yeah, it is skewed, if you will, because that's what you're buying into, and that's what you want. And um, I, I don't regret that for a minute. It was wonderful. I had the most caring professors I'd ever have in my life. I had teachers, professors, you know, who had their hearts were the hearts of leaders because they their true deep motive was to be there, not for the money, you could tell, but for to really help impart wisdom and help shape the future of leadership. And that to me was such a huge difference. You could tell that their morals and their values and their character comes from their faith. And I just, I was definitely, I would say, probably more impacted by them than anybody. Um, And not to mention, you know, I was very passionate about the subject matter of, of leadership, which is what my master's obviously is in. So anyway, a long way to just say, like, it's interesting when you start to think about your schooling, your upbringing, and how you were taught, and who taught you, and what the impressions 
certain people made in your lives. And I don't think it's any different from being an adult in a work environment and thinking about the leaders who also make an impression on your life. It, it all comes from the same place. And both, to me, are such critical roles that we play in society. And I think both are so hinged on what your motives are to do those jobs. And the motives should never be money. The motives should never be power. The motives should never be authority or positional authority to, you know, influence other people to believe, you know, what your beliefs are. It should be people who are there to grow and to coach and develop and encourage And yes, imparting wisdom is one thing. Giving examples from your own life and experiences is very, very different than saying this is the way for something. So I'll get into some sips now. And these are leader sips and teacher sips for this episode. First sip, it's so important for both teachers and leaders to teach people how to think, not what to think. I know I've talked about it before, but I really feel like we've lost the art of critical thinking in this society. We've lost the art of just constructive debate. Um, For a time when my first year out of high school, I went to Grossmont College and San Diego Mesa College just for a few classes, junior colleges, um, because I, you know, I partied a little too much, hung out a little too much my first year after 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 high school. Moved out with some roommates. We had fun. I worked at Chuck E. Cheese, went to Cor- you know, worked at Corvettes. And anyway, only for a year. And then I got my act more or less together and then moved up to Anaheim. Anyway, I digress. Um, the reason I was sharing that is because uh, being on the Stupation Debate team was, was great. I only did it for a semester, but I did win a couple awards, and impromptu was my jam. And um, one of the things that we were really taught was you have to be able to argue any side of any topic or any situation that you're given. And that's what makes a good debater because you don't know what you're always going to be dealt in some of those situations, especially, you know, things like extemporaneous or impromptu type of situations you might. And definitely the way we would practice and debate was you didn't always get a choice of the topic and which side you had to be on, you know, for it. So. I think that art is just so, so, so critical because, one, it's not influencing somebody, especially a child who's very influential and – or, sorry, easily influenced. Um, but it's it's teaching them how do you look at any situation with a critical lens? How do you determine what your belief is about a certain situation? Now, I know there are just some things like historical things that are, are fact-based but making sure that you're also pulling apart what's fact-based versus what's opinion-based or what's a point of view of a historical figure on a certain event. I think all of those delineations are so critical when you're educating somebody. And so that critical thinking also comes with knowing how to pull the emotion out of an argument, knowing how to have a discussion and have a conversation and debate constructively to share points of view without getting heated and emotional and name calling and that all going all crazy town. I mean, literally. And I'm sad to say, like, I feel like that is what the norm is today. And then people unfriend people and people don't talk to family members because they don't agree about something or they can't even stop and put themselves in another person's shoes for a hot minute or the good old agree to disagree, whatever happened to those days. I mean, I remember growing up in my family, 
Not all my family members shared the same political views or religious views for that matter. And I'm talking aunts, uncles, grandparents, you know, parents, whatever. And they would definitely have debates and conversations at family gatherings. And then they would just end it at the point where you're like, okay, said all I'm going to say and we're moving on. We're still going to eat together. We're still going to be family together. We're still going to hang out together. I don't know what the heck happened to those days. But to me, that's like bringing that art back of being able to debate and have constructive conversations, seeking to understand, seeking for knowledge, I think is powerful. And I would really love to see that be able to come back rather than people just going to their corners and hanging out with people just like them or that think just like them or that act just like them. And I'm not saying go compromise your principles. That's not what I'm saying at all. I'm saying go talk to someone who doesn't believe like you do and doesn't agree with what you do and just listen and learn and be empathetic. Any any job, anywhere, any family member, any friendship, we need to get back to that. All right, that was a long sip, but it's good coffee, so keep drinking. Sip number two, situational teachership. You've all heard of situational leadership. I'm calling it situational teachership. I believe that, and I think about my husband when I, when I was writing this little sip down. Um, he grew up thinking that he was stupid because he has a learning disability. He has serious ADD and um, really, really struggled in school. And teachers called him stupid and said he wouldn't amount to anything and just really did a number on his self-esteem. It's awful, awful. should never talk to a child that way. Um, so I believe, and I know it's hard, but just like a leader in, of a team, every person on that team is different and everybody learns a different way, learns at a different pace, learns in a different style. And we often try to accommodate that because we get that we're all unique and it's what makes it beautiful, right? Humanity is beautiful in that sense because there's no two of us alike, But in classrooms, and I know that can get challenging, but it's critical that you see each person, see each, I don't care what age they are, whether it's kindergarten to college, that they're individuals and have the emotional intelligence, just like you would need to in a leadership and environment as a teacher to understand what's going on with each of them, to really take the time to situationally understand how are they learning? How do they learn best? What are they struggling with? What's going on with them? What is potentially going on maybe even at home that might be impacting what their work is, what their attention span's like? What is there more to it? Is there something medically there? And again, I understand that it's hard, but if we don't do this, the ramifications long-term of not really seeing your individual students in that way are devastating and my husband's almost 50 and that's still, he still has trepidation about schooling and, and this is after counseling and everything too and trying to get past it. That sticks with somebody the rest of their lives. So no pressure, but it truly, again, I don't know why in a work environment we're like, yes, that's the way. That's definitely how you do it. And for some reason, I think in a teaching environment, we try to make everybody the same and we try to lump everybody together and we try to say, here's one test for all and here's one way for all and one curriculum for all and one style for all. And I mean, I could have a whole nother podcast on my opinions about the education system and, and, you know, I mean, here's an example too. When I was growing up, you test frequently in class and I was horrible at testing, horrible at testing. But I could, I could bang out an essay like nobody else, right? Writing, that was my jam. 
And then you get to college and it's like, and, and nobody prepares you for that, right? You get to college and it's like, oh, you only have two tests and one final for the entire, and that's what you're graded on. Oh, yeah, that's not pressure or anything. I mean, if, you're, if you don't test well or if you don't do well under anxious situations like that, you're not going to do well. And so that doesn't, that doesn't apply to your style of learning. So are you really learning? Well, no, I didn't really learn. What I do is cram for each one of those tests, and then all that information was pretty much out of my head the next day. So what good is that? And how did that help anybody? And in, in, how does that help me? Oh, it helped me get a degree, but it didn't really mean I'm educated in that subject. I mean, I talk to Todd all the time about historical stuff, and now I really do have more of appreciation for history, for example. But I didn't really learn it in school or college or even high school for that matter. I mean, in high school, doesn't prepare you for college at all. Doesn't prepare you for the different style. At least it didn't in my day, okay? I can't talk to the way it is now, so don't everybody, you know, lose your minds. But, like, I had no idea what to expect in a college learning environment. They didn't prepare you for that at all. And then college doesn't prepare you for the real life. I didn't have any classes on resilience or mental stability or, hell, how to put a resume together. I mean, none of that. And I'm like, what on earth are we learning? But I did have to take history all over again and had to take English all over again and stupid math all over again. And it's like, oh, my gosh. So we're just repeating a lot of the same stuff just in a different style. And I'm not really learning the practical skills I need to actually, you know, help me navigate the world. Then we then we sit back and we go, oh, no, I don't understand why college students have a tough time in the workforce. Well, pfft. Hello, we're not preparing them. We're not giving them practical skills. We're stuck too much in textbooks and opinionated things that we're not giving them the skills they need to develop and grow in the real world. And it's it's just dumbfounding to me. All right, total rabbit trail again. But hey, it's my podcast. I get to do these things. All right, final sip is take your job seriously. Make sure your motives are right for why you want to be a leader why you want to be a teacher. Think about what's at stake in taking on a, a job like that. And if it's a job that you're doing because it seemed easy, because I get summers off, because blah, all these other reasons. And yes, I'm sorry to say there are teachers that say these things because I've heard them. So don't tell me, oh no, teachers do it because they love it. They don't do it for the money because it's hard. And uh, Yeah, some of you, I know, and I have teachers, uh, teacher friends who are don't get paid a lot but are super passionate and super devoted to their students and it's so admirable I love that and that is the reason those are the people you need teaching your kids or even teaching college for that matter you know people are college professors and they get tenured that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard oh my god you tenure people what if we tenured working professionals it's like oh well now that you're in this job for x amount of years we're going to give you tenure um, manager of such and such. That means you basically can't do anything wrong until you retire or die. That is, it makes zero sense to me. And I'm sure I just pissed off somebody by saying that. But um, then you're basically giving, you're, you're giving appointment based on seniority as opposed to performance and impact. And so if teachers are doing it for the safety net of that or the money because once and once they get a PhD, they can, you know, especially write their own books and then they can farm those out to 
to students and then make money off that. And, you know, I mean, it's a little bit of a racket when you think about some of the things they're doing in colleges. And again, I'm not dissing education. Obviously, I have an advanced degree myself. But what I am dissing is the people who have those kinds of motives. And I'm not saying it's everybody. But you, those are the teachers that are going to make adverse impacts on people. They're going to be the people who leave negative impacts on people. They're not the ones that are doing it for the right reasons. Your motive should be to best equip and coach and be that leader for your students in, those, in whatever that field of study is, whatever that topic is that you have expertise in, for them to go and then discover their path in that topic or that subject. It's not to, to deter them. It's not to brainwash them. It's not to sit back and be lazy and just like, uh-huh, sure, we got your tuition money. Good luck to you kind of thing. It really, you really have to have the right motives, the right heart to grow and develop people, to be contributing members of the society in that sense, especially with teachers, as well as leadership. It's the same thing. If you don't have a leader's heart and if you don't care – have that deep care of I'm here to help other people be better and to to follow their dreams and their passions and grow and then you are in the wrong business. You have no business leading people and you have no business teaching people. So to the educators out there, to the leaders out there, thank you. Thank you for the ones who do it no matter what it costs because you know that this is your calling, this is your purpose. This is what you're here for, to help others grow, to develop into their fullest potential that they can be, to learn, to create an environment where hopefully the future is better and brighter than ever before. You know, the song, Children Are Our Future. And that's true from a chronological perspective, but I believe actually teachers and leaders are the future because they hold so much of the impact and the influence to make a true difference in what the future generations are going to do, think, act, and feel, and believe. Not telling them what to do with those things, of course, but showing them how to do that. And hopefully setting a foundation to bring and build and grow and chart new leaders and new teachers for generation after generation to come. Sips to you, teachers. Thank you for all that you do. Thank you for having a cup of coffee with me. For more sips and tips, connect with me on social and follow Leader Sips on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Pinterest. And don't forget to visit my website, carlinholbrook.com. Until next time, keep on brewing.